last week. It's, it's not an exciting time uh, as a pastor. The method of preaching here at Redeemer is what's called expository preaching. So you, you set a preaching calendar that then you join in with the author of the book and you track him. You follow him. You, 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 just, you trace out his arguments, therefore, to help you gather what he actually did intend for you to hear. And that is the model and the method of uh, preaching. In that, there are strengths and there are challenges to the pastors. That is, you'll come across a particular text um, that isn't sometimes uh, the most exciting for you to be able to explain. You're kind of hoping someone else maybe explains it, and then you get the other one. So it is with warning passages. It can be not the most exciting text to preach on is a warning through the text of Scripture to the people of God. Yet we would be wise to note, as we, again, don't come up with warning passages, we follow warning passages. That is, they are established within the text. So it isn't like, hey, you know, this seems to be this kind of temperature, so I'm going to go in there and I'm going to let them have this one. And I'm going to find another verse way in the back somewhere that really brings it out. I'm going to get them with that one. Rather, you're following, you're tracing the argument. So what we receive from the fact that there are warning passages here and in Scripture, we would find, and we would agree with the comment that not warning the people of God, or to not warn the people of God, is pastoral malpractice. So it is a charge to pastors to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And that requires tough texts. Yet to neglect them would be in your duties negligent at best. However, as we trace out the wisdom here in this particular text, as we again follow the apostle's lead, he recognizes when he's laid a heavy burden upon the people of God. When they're wrestling with what he's heard, how he then pastorally and wisely comes alongside of them with the challenge that he has now placed before them. In other words, everybody at the end, whether it is the speaker or the receiver, everyone's kind of in a bit of a Debbie Downer. And there's a feeling where it's like introspective, it's deeply concerned for your neighbor, for yourself. It's, it, it's a call, it's a heightened sense of perseverance, of examination, of receiving and resting in Christ, all of those elements together. What is the particular discouragement here in this text? Well, if you look prior, before we jump into our section this morning, I just want to draw your attention to, again, following with his argument what he is already at work doing, and we'll come alongside of him and trace out what he would have for us this morning in our particular text. But notice the discouragement at hand. Yes, the language, the warning, the concern that he has put before them is in light of an already particularly established Level of discouragement. What is the discouragement? Look with me in verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 
right? So already you're recognizing there, there, there's something going on here with holding fast. Because his encouragement, his word that he addresses them with is, let us together, you, come on, remember chapter 2, he knows them. He knows them and they know him. So he says, let us hold fast our confession, the confession of our hope, without wavering. So now you're recognizing there's some sense of wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider. So he drives us together. Holding fast will require this. Considering how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then here is that which joins with the without wavering. There is wavering. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is the particular discouragement here alongside of his warning about those who have been among them? Depleting numbers. There's depleting numbers among them. We'll get into why some of that has caused some of the events that have unraveled here within our text, but there is clearly among them some depleting numbers. We started this way, growing this way, and there was some discouragement, some suffering, some hardship, some worry, some concern about providence, and boom, some of us have left. He says, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast together. Let us hold fast, and we'll do this without wavering. In other words, some who have wavered, some who have left. And that's particularly discouraging on two tiers. Consider already. There is discouragement. Perhaps you felt this as a believer, walking with Christ's church for years. There is a particular level of discouragement that comes when fellow believers consider themselves the Lord of the Sabbath. We preach through the Ten Commandments and the consideration of the function of the moral law in the life of the church and the acknowledgement that it is Christ who is the Lord of this day. Marking his resurrection and the gathering of the people of God. There is a level of discouragement that believers who belong with one another feel when some consider themselves the Lord of that Sabbath and thereby display a spirit of disregard for word, sacrament, and encouragement. I don't need it as badly as maybe some of the regulars do. And we recognize, according to the text of Scripture, all of God's people need it the same amount. And the depletion of numbers creates a spirit of discouragement among the fellow believers within the community. There's one level of discouragement there that he's addressing, the neglecting of being together. Let us not waver. Don't waver. Hold fast. And it's going to require being together. And there's a discouragement that comes when some say, not so much for me. Well, then the brother or sister who is there feels a spirit of discouragement. 
because you, as Paul says, belong to one another. But even more so, historically, in our current text, what is this discouragement? If you drop down with me to see, as he continues to explain how deeply the discouragement goes as he speaks to those present, verse 28, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Dan explored this last week. But then as he argues from lesser to greater, verse 29, our current situation as he speaks, how much worse punishment then do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God? This is greater than throwing off church attendance. Right? So there's two tiers, this, 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 severe, this level of discouragement that sets in among the people of God because there's just a depletion of numbers. And it can take place in various ways or for various reasons, but the heart of the discouragement sits when fellow believers disregard the role of word, sacrament, and encouragement. They just disregard it. I, 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 it's, I'm all right this week, or however that goes, and there's discouragement. Yet there is this more severe, if I could say, a greater severity to the discouragement that is setting in among this people of God as well as we consider as he addresses some who have left, he speaks of them this way. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God? He has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has been sanctified. And this one has outraged the spirit of grace. Again, in other words, can you imagine hearing as a congregation together those whom we've loved, they have loved us. We've had them in our home, we've been in their home. We've heard their kids screaming, we've screamed at them with our kids together in community. And you hear the apostle address you as your heart is broken for them, that they are spurning the Son of God. Considering earlier, the apostle says, considering him, his crucifixion to be of no consequence. Your heart would break, wouldn't it? As you consider those you love, those who are making that choice and that failure to persevere, a spirit of discouragement would fall upon us as a congregation, wouldn't it? And it is in this unsettling and discouraging time that he begins wisely and pastorally to apply his own admonishment that he has made to you. What, what ought you do in the case of brothers and sisters, either on the first tier, neglecting to be together, just, you know, hey, it's warm out, it's above 50, I'm out. Okay, well, there's a discouragement in your wake for the brothers and sisters who aren't and don't want you to be either. And then, yet even more with greater severity, are those who are denying their confession. They have wavered and they have openly spurned the Son of God. What ought you do? Nothing, it's not my problem, I'm here. It is your problem. And I'm sure you wouldn't suggest it isn't. 
you would feel the burden also for those that you love and have loved you and their current situation would burden you. So the apostle, being burdened, does what he encourages you to do. Guess what? Encourage one another. Don't not call. Call. Don't pretend they were here. Ask them if they're doing all right because they weren't here. Actively encourage one another. In light of the day drawing near, we are a people of the age that is to come. When we act like we belong to the age that is passing away, there's problems. What do you do? You encourage one another. And this is exactly what we'll see this morning the apostle himself do. Because there is a spirit of discouragement from a state of spiritual sloth that is kind of setting in. And also to severity of denying the Lord who had purchased them. A denial there. There is discouraging moment here in the congregation. Look at verse 24 and 25 again as I draw your attention to what the apostle has already said. And then I want to draw your attention to then how he then performs it. In other words, he isn't suggesting it for you. He is suggesting it for you and showing you. It's for him. And he's showing us how to do so. Verse 24 again. What ought we do with depleting numbers? Discouragement. Let us consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works. Right? That that means make the phone call. Consider, consider how you can get involved to encourage and stir somebody up. Consider how to do it. And not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some in this context, but rather encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to do two things this morning then with this encourage one another. I want to do two things I hope to accomplish with you in the next couple of moments. One is so that you have kind of now I'm going to establish a bit of a compass so you can think he is going to a destination. One, teach how a primary function. I really want us to own this and and think about it individually. More on that in a moment. But I, I want to teach from this text how a primary function of being the church is to encourage one another. That is a primary function of what we do here. So it's not the only, it is a primary function of being the church. And when I say being the church, I'm going to use that term throughout our time together. And what I'm referring to is not pastoral paid staff alone, included, as like church organized, but also as in church together, as in those who belong in union by faith to Jesus Christ, the church, Christians, a primary function of us being Christ's people is encouragement, a primary function of who we are. I want to teach that from this text. Secondly, explore the apostles' encouragement as a proper model for how to shape our encouragements 
one to another. That is, we won't say, he says this, therefore I'll write that in the top opening line of my note to that brother or sister. I'm going to do it because I'm just going to open this text and I'm going to give it a go. What I would suggest is the way in which he goes about encouraging us this morning is a way forward for us, each one of us, to consider as a broad shape-giving model to how we can encourage. Have you ever wanted to encourage someone and thought, I don't know exactly how to, yeah, encourage. I want to say, I want to, because I can see and I know and I want to, how can I, okay, great, we're all in the same place. Perhaps through this text we can consider uh, how can I, here we go, this is how we can. In a broad shape, as the apostle does lead, will follow his lead as a model to shape our encouragements one with another. Why do we need number two? Because number one is true. Number one is a primary function of us being the church is encouraged, then we need number two to figure out how to do it. So here we go. This is what we have through this text together. So starting point number one. A primary function of being the church is encouragement. I want to show you two ways in which that is so. I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming upon you, you're asking me, how so? How, how, do you, how, how do you know that a primary function of us being the church is encouragement? How do you know that or where do you find it in the text? And not a tertiary thing, something way out here, not even primary or, or, or secondary or, or, or tertiary, maybe even further out, way out. If it happens, it happens. And I'm drawing it from there and I'm saying it must happen. It is a primary for us. How so? Two ways. Number one, it is explicitly commanded. Right there, we have a commandment from the text of Holy Scripture to be those who encourage. So we already know it is a primary role because, one, it is commanded. Again, I beat the dead horse of verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Don't neglect, but rather blowing it off, rather, encourage. Verse 25. One another. And all the more do this with vigor. Do it intensely. Consider it. Meditate on it. Be active in it. Upon what grounds? The day of Christ's visitation. The day is drawing near. So, I would suggest to you That beyond this individual text, as you yourselves well know, the testimony of Scripture is overwhelming. If we were to leave this land and go into the text elsewhere, the testimony would be overwhelming regarding the church's responsibility to maintain a meaningful ministry of encouragement. Overwhelming. Is it your duty? Yes, it is. I would cite for you just briefly if you wanted to jot down. It's quite straightforward. But in the same context of the day drawing near, Paul says what? Encourage one another. Because as that day is coming in this context of redemptive history, as this day is emerging and this day we're in is passing away, there is tension 
There is hardship. There is struggle. Because this day is coming and this day is fading and we're caught here. Give me more. Lord, thy kingdom come. But I'm so wrapped up in the struggles of what I'm facing. There is tension there. And so Paul casts it in the same light. In this context of a day emerging and a day passing away where you're here, do what? Do what? Encourage one another. What does that imply? There's going to be a need for encouragement. Only for the few people. No, for everybody. Everybody needs encouragement. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're, you're deeply connected to the hurts of a friend. Encourage them. It is your responsibility. How so? Number one, because it is explicitly commanded of you. Secondly, and this is where we kind of come into the beginning portion of our text this morning. There's an apostolic demonstration. So, my point here is, so far I've said it's explicitly commanded. I know you own that as the people of God. As I said, whether from this text as he exhorts you and commands, or if you left this text and came back, you are overwhelmed with the knowledge of the fact that you must maintain a meaningful ministry among your brothers and sisters of encouragement. Now I say there is also an apostolic demonstration before you of how to do it. So my point is that as the apostle commands us to encourage one another, so also does he encourage. It's not like, hey, here's a good idea for you. It's it's a good idea for all of us. And I too am going to display how to do it. I too want to come alongside and I'm eager as your brother to encourage you. And so we have a command and a demonstration, a powerful way forward to say, it is my responsibility and I have a way to learn how to do it. This is not a man speaking from the outside and giving no care or concern to those who are suffering. As he writes this sermon to them, he is acutely aware of their challenges and he is not indifferent knows them, and he wants to encourage them. As he would also call upon you who are on the ground in the congregation to do likewise, encourage one another. If I could build the logic, one, there's an explicit command to do so. We're owning that. We see before us, and we're going to get into that, that there's an apostolic demonstration of how to do it. What can we, or do I hope for you and myself to learn from this? The fact that there is a command, and then it's not someone from out speaking in with no care. It is speaking in with care and displaying just how much he cares to do the work of encouraging. What can we then learn about that? Command and demonstration. What can we already, before we get into the text, learn about its presence? What can we learn? Two things. Number one the significant role encouragement has within the life of the church. The fact that he commands it and then displays it informs me as a Christian reader the significant role that encouragement serves within the life of the church. Or he could have skipped it. fact that he calls upon me to do it when there is a bit of a 
downer. And he says, you know what you can do as a brother? You can encourage. You say, but I don't, I don't really know. Well, watch. Because it's my responsibility too, and I'm going to do next, I'm going to encourage. What can I learn about that? The significant role to take seriously. I'm asking you and myself, Pastor Dan, together, all of us in the congregation of Redeemer Community Church, to take serious the function and significance of encouragement within the church. The significant role it plays. Secondly, from the significant role, what can we learn from the fact that it is commanded and demonstrated? The second piece we can learn from this is where we make our transition, how we can shape or form our encouragements to one another. That's what we can learn here, how we can shape or form our encouragements. Now, I've set up the text, hopefully. It is commanded and demonstrated. Now I want to move from the fact that it is a primary function. I want to move to how then, if it is indeed a primary function of all of us in our life as the church, how then do we do it? So I want to explore the apostle's encouragement that he offers here as a proper model. And I want to do it in two ways. First, would you together with me receive it? That is, as it is a word to you. So if you are one who perhaps at this time, it is a time of discouragement, then I don't want to skip past that direct reference to you. That maybe right now, you're the one needing encouragement. Great, then let this text serve you. And also, as each one of us need to come back to this text again and again, as those discouraged Perhaps right now you're in the throes of a relationship with a friend or, or, or one you're persevering with that needs encouragement. Great. If they're the object of what you hope to do is encourage, then receive here also a model. So to all of us, somewhere in the need and function of encouragement, I hope that this will help each one of us as we walk through the text considering how is it that we can be encouraged and encourage our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Look with me at the text as we get to the first way in which the apostle is encouraging us and also offering a model for us in encouragement. Verse 32. So here is the setting up of the text. Um, Consider, I'm sorry, go to verse 30. The final, as Pastor Dan spoke last week, kind of the final foot to drop here in the warning. Indeed, consider those you love. Within this first century context in this congregation, you hear words like this, verse 30, in this apostolic warning, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Right? Because the spirit of grace is being outraged. So there is vengeance as the expectation. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And this final word here, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, in that spirit of unsettling language, he wisely and pastorally comes and speaks this way. But recall, the former days... When after you were enlightened, 
That is, you were transferred from darkness into spiritual light. Recall the former days when this occurred. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. The apostles' encouragement to you in an hour of discouragement, you see quite clearly there. Verse 32, recall the former days. That is, I would phrase it this way. If you're in need of encouragement, recall past difficulties during your current trial. Right? He drives you to the past. Recall. Do you remember when? Re- recall the former days when hard struggles indeed have already gripped you before. Recall them. He reminds them of their individual sufferings. Each one of you experienced this as well as their corporate sufferings. Why? Why does he do that? Don't you want to forget those things? Don't you want to move on? Don't you want to, um, I forget what it's called, have closure? No, leave it open. Don't block it out. Don't send it to Area 51. Don't do that. Don't do that. God uses that. That was his intention all along. To use that and say it's back here or it's out there now. I've moved on. You never move on. It's always there as a source of growth. It's part of your person. What God has done in his gracious work in you to make you more like him. Recall those difficulties. Do you remember? Not to sit there and mow on ice cream and go downward. That, 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 that. The call is, remember the former days? Why? As a means to present and future strength. That is, recall the past. Do you remember that song? I, 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 maybe we've been saying it here, I, I'm not sure, but the... Um, I, I don't, if there's bad images in the song, I don't mean to recreate a moment for someone, but the, um, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Do you remember that song? So a few of us anyway. And, and the, the individual coming through the song, as you're kind of tracing it out, if I recall right, it, it, the person says, I have proved him more and more. As in like, as in over and over. And you, and you look at the text and you think, how so? How is it that you have proved him? By taking him at his word and resting upon his promises. Or and or. The formula hasn't changed. Who he is here, back there, and he says, recall the former days. Do you remember? We felt this way before. Vengeance is mine. It is a fearful thing. And we're considering our brothers and sisters in a spirit of discouragement. We've been here before. Do you remember? 
How we had a struggle before. Each one of you did. And we all did together. Recall it. Because he is the God who was. The God who is. The God who is to come. He is unchangeable in the character of his purposes. He had already told us that in Hebrews 6. Hebrews 7. What is a model for my encouragement? So, so I'm explaining the text there with the apostle's word of recalling the past for present and future strength. Remember it, what he has done there. He will do it again. The model application for me as a brother to a fellow brother, to one who is discouraged, I would encourage myself and you, help them recall the past for present and future strength. Help them. This requires, right, it automatically implies that you know them, which then kind of gets back to the not neglecting to meet together. If I'm out, then I don't know. And if I don't know, I can't speak in. Nobody loves a good word from without. Nobody. Somebody randomly drops you a line on like how you could be doing better and you think, I don't even know who you are. That's not like the greatest, warmest way to receive it. So then we're all the way back to the original thing. Hold fast without wavering. Don't blow out the door. Be together so that you can do the work of encouraging. Help them remember. You remember friends and others who have been shaped by trial into Christ's likeness. You remember those, right? So when they don't, here you are able to help them. I remember. Don't you recall? It's powerful for yourself and your wife, your family, to do the work of recalling. And it's powerful to help others do the work of recalling. Secondly, the second piece from the text of the Apostles' encouragement to you this morning, if you're one in discouragement or seeking a model also and always to be the church to them, that is, as a Christian, encouraging them. The Apostles' encouragement, the second one in verse 33 and 34, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For he had compassion on those in prison. Turn over to chapter 13 quickly. I haven't been able to preach in a couple of weeks, so we're just going to go extra long to make up for the time. No, if I can kind of land this plane soon. Um, Beginning in verse 1 at chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue to the church, to the people of God. Let it continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison. Right now, he just said a minute ago, he said you were partners with those who are treated for you to compassion on those in prison. And now he says, remember those who are in prison. As though, and here is the element, in prison with them. Those who are mistreated, just like you yourself, are being mistreated since you also are in the body. What is the apostle's encouragement here? Not only recall past hardships, but recall past victories. 
to those who are struggling. Recall the victory. So you set the context of encouragement. Do you remember how hard those days were? And then you don't go, yeah, it was terrible. I remember. Okay, great, we're done here. Right? No, 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 wait, 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 there's more. There's more. Build, build, build on that. Recall? I do. And as someone sobbing as they recall, you don't leave and think, I did it. No, 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 wait, you, you, you opened, yes, great, now insert, insert, insert the, the word. Remember what happened in that, as in what God did in you during that hurt. In other words, the apostle reminds them of their deep love for their fellow Christians. You, you acted like you were partnered with them. Do, do you remember that? And, and those who were in prison... Act as though you're in the prison with them. Those who are being mistreated and humiliated, act as though that's you being mistreated. That's you being humiliated. Love them. Let love, brotherly love continue. How? Actionably. That is, he reminds them that their deep love for their fellow Christians resulted in their standing boldly by their side and sharing in their humiliations. I remember that struggle. And I remember God's work in you during that struggle. I remember how in the, as, as an orange is getting squeezed, as you are getting squeezed, as the community is getting squeezed, I remember what God in that hardship did in you. I watched. I saw. Let me remind you of what impact it had on me. He doesn't use me. He's breaking me. Yes, he does use you. And he has used you. And I can testify to it. I saw it. I saw how your, your, your response in that time, as squeezed, responded and resulted in actionable love. I saw it. You need to be reminded of it. What is my guarantee that it will do it again? Because he is the same. And his purposes for you remain unchanged. I remember how that hardship resulted in your standing so boldly. By the side of those in humiliation, I remember as I watched. What is the model application? What can I do as I recall the past? What can I now do? I can remind others of God's prior triumphs of grace in them and their joy in that hour. Sometimes you don't remember. Sometimes maybe you feel like you're the same person. You always have been, and there's been no change. It seems almost designed that way. It's hard for you to give yourself perspective. Am I being sanctified? Am I growing by grace? I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Wait, no, no, wait, that's God. But I need a brother to tell me a sister to reach out to me and say, you're not the same. I can remember when. Do you remember? I do. And do you remember this occurred in that time? I don't. Well, let me help you remember because I saw it. I witnessed it. Our friendship is deeper because of it. Recall to others God's prior triumphs of grace in them. And their joy that they had in that hour. The fourth one here, 
No, sorry, three. The third encouragement from the apostle is, look in verse 34 with me. For you had compassion on those in prison. We covered that portion. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves, you were convinced of this, that you had a better possession and an abiding one. You knew that. I don't know that I knew that. You did know it. I saw it. This is him encouraging you about what he knows to be true of you. That is the statement I would write for this encouragement. Endure present hardship by recalling past struggles and looking beyond the present. Recall, be strengthened in the God who was, in the God who is, and the God who is to come. Look beyond the present into the future of what has been promised to you. This will provide power. How so? Well, because I saw it. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. What motivated that joy? What gave me that sense of freedom? Because you knew something. What did I know? You knew that you yourselves had a better possession than the one being taken. You knew it. You were convinced of it. You had a better and an abiding one. The apostle reminds them, we ought to remind one another of the liberating power that comes from being firmly fixed on heaven's joys. We're a heavenly people. The result of being firmly fixed on heaven's joys. Twofold. And they're really straightforward. You already have them underlined. But I'll play the part of being obvious. The result of being so heavenly fixed. One, earth's possessions appear to be not that good. They're just not that good. Right? That, that's the contrast. There's a better thing than this thing. How do you know that this, is good, that this isn't the good thing? Because I'm convinced of heaven's joys, what's been promised to me. I'm convinced. I know it by faith. So this is just that simple. Not that good. I was convinced by grace. And secondly, earth's possessions, I recognize, they don't last that long. How do I know that things of earth aren't that good and that they don't last that long? How do I know that? Because I am fixed firmly on God's promises to me of the earth that is to come. He says, you knew that you had a better possession. It's better, and guess what? It will abide. The model for application, and this is coming upon our last one, the model application for me with a friend, or how can I shape my encouragements to someone else based on this encouragement from the apostle? I can frequently call to mind our shared inheritance and reward in God. 
you and me both. But I lost this and I lost that. I know. And we both have something that is better. We both have something that is incorruptible and is not fading. You and I both have it, brother. You and I both have it, sister. We have a better and an abiding possession in Christ. This is the final portion of our time this morning. I would just read the text and then apply his final encouragement. As he says, these encouragements ought to have a consequence. I've encouraged you about the past and the present, about his work and triumph of grace in you, of reminding you of heaven's joys that are abiding and will last forever. And as I encourage you, and as you encourage one another, therefore, based on encouraging each other, don't throw away your confidence. It's a bleak hour. Yeah, but remember we've been here before. What did we do to pull ourselves out? Nothing. We recalled what God did to pull us out. We're going to do it again. Together. We're going to remember Him in those former days. And His triumph in us. By His enabling grace. So don't be lacking confidence. Your confidence in Him, look what the text says, has a great reward. Call it to mind. Encourage one another. Hey, guess what, everybody? This isn't it. It's not it. Great. What do I have? A reward that is great in Him that will forever abide. For you have need of endurance. I know that. I can look out and I can see it. You need endurance. And these encouragements will help so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what has been promised. And he gives this quotation of warning. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come. He will not delay. My righteous one shall live by faith. It, he, he shall receive and rest in what I have provided in Christ. He will live by that faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. What is my final encouragement? The final one. What is the final one? Is he, is he says this, receiving and resting in Christ. What will result if I receive and I rest in Christ? What can I encourage my brother with? We must, please, we must remind one another. The, the backbone of our encouragement is this. Reminding one another of who we are in Christ. That's the backbone of encouragement, of all encouragements. How does he say it? He reminds us of it right now. Brother and sister, right here in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, but we're not going to shrink back. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Who are we? We must recall to mind who we are in Christ. 
We are of those who have faith. We receive and we rest in Christ and thereby preserve our souls. A primary function of the church is encouragement. And we must encourage each other to look away from circumstance and self and unto Christ. For he who promised is faithful. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will help each one of us to have a fresh thought about the role of encouraging. And that we will deepen our encouragements with promises from Scripture. Recalling to mind your previous redemptive acts, your works of power and providence, your promises of grace and mercy. And we will prove you or and or. We will prove you over and over by recalling that to mind. And let us take serious the word that others might not have. In fact, we don't have the ability to recall in a vacuum. We need our brothers and sisters to not neglect and to be a part of our lives as we would with them and recall for others your work in them. So, Lord, teach us to be your church. Christ's name I pray, amen.